Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. Oh, I feel good. I knew that. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all of the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a, a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Hello and welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest today. My special guest is Susan Peppercorn. Uh, she is an executive and career coach who has a passion for helping individuals thrive in their career. And in addition to that, she is the author of the Amazon best-selling book, Ditch Your Inner Critic at Work. And she's going to share some tips with us today about how she's used a scientifically validated approach uh, to help people transform their career. Uh, Susan, in, in addition to being an author, uh, she really understands what it's like herself to be stuck in a job with four career changes. And she's frequently quoted in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, U.S. News, you get it. She, people like listening to her ideas. Susan, welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve, thanks so much. It's really great to be here. Well, we're thrilled to talk about uh, this inner critic concept because I know we all have it. But before we do, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? Actually, um, I've been on vacation this week. And I Sweet. felt before I... Yes, I was just uh, hiking in Sedona, Arizona. Awesome. Uh, so I, I felt the need to get out of the snowy, cold, and gray northeast, which is where I'm located. <laughs> and um, I really found that uh, getting outdoors, uh, hiking in the mountains, uh, was really just what I needed to clear my head. So that's what I've been doing. Well, I am so glad you got to enjoy Sedona. For listeners of our show, know that I live in Arizona, and I highly recommend Sedona to everyone. It's absolutely gorgeous, is it not? It is absolutely beautiful, <laughs> without a doubt. Some of the best hiking I've ever done. 
Uh, people uh, really have an impossible uh, task to try to imagine it. That's why I say just just go. Yeah, go once and you'll you'll fall in love with it. It's a beautiful place. It is. Well, uh, Susan, I know that that helped you relax a little bit and get going. I really want to talk about your book, Ditch Your Inner Critic at Work. Uh, I I think uh, the best place for us to start is why don't we define for our listeners what is this inner critic that we're talking about so that we kind of get in the right mindset? Okay. So we all have an inner critic. I mean, there are always the days when we think to ourselves, you know, I'm really not good enough, or I screwed that up, or why didn't I do that better? And that's okay. I mean, that's part of who we are as humans. You know, we're comparing ourselves to others. We set high standards for ourselves. But the inner critic that I write about in my book is one that really um, is out of proportion to reality. So it's, it's the inner critic that gets in our mind and takes over uh, to the point where we really believe that we are lacking in some major way. And uh, that can hamper us in so many, you know, uh, it can hamper us tremendously, and especially when it comes to our careers. And um, it's important to recognize it and know how to deal with it. Well, can you give us an example of where we might be so critical that what we're doing is affecting the quality of our work? Absolutely. So I'll give you an example that I write about in my book of a client that I had. Now, this client um, had been the CEO of four startup companies. So he had, he had a track record of success. But he reached out to me when he was turning 50 um, and what his inner critic was saying to him was that because he did not go to an Ivy League school, that um, going further in his career was going to be impossible because people would judge him based upon the fact that um, he did not go to a Stanford or a Harvard or something. And that was really interesting because what I asked him was, given that you've been successful four times over, what is it that makes you believe that because you haven't gone to an Ivy League school, you're not going to be successful in the future? And I think that question stopped him in his tracks because there wasn't a rational, there wasn't a rational answer to this inner critic that just popped up, you know, and my, things like milestone birthdays or, you know, changes in jobs um, can make that inner critic um, speak louder, yell at us, um, and I think that's what was happening to him, uh, you know, that he was looking forward saying, gee, you know, maybe what's happened to me has been luck, um, not my own hard work, but in fact, that was not the case, and um, really through, you know, some uh, conversations about this, he came to realize that that was just a false narrative that he had in his head. Amazing, isn't it, that we, uh, we create all of this drama inside our own mind. Uh, it, it reminds me of the, the saying I've heard people say before. It says, uh, no matter where I go, I can't get away from myself. <laughs> For sure. 
Yeah, and for I, sure. I, and I think. Uh, it, for those that are leading people, I, I think we see this a lot of times in our team members, uh, that you can see that even if they do a good job and you give them a compliment, you can, you can actually, and I'm talking about a well-earned compliment, you can actually mm -hmm. see that they still, you know, they're still critiquing themselves. They're still just not satisfied. It is and so what can we do or how do we actually understand I love your phrase you say ditch this inner critic so mm -hmm. uh, we all have this so what do we do to start recognizing that we might have a problem and what are some of those symptoms so it's a really good question and I think one symptom that I would point out Steve is that if somebody finds themselves procrastinating, you know, you're talking about leaders and managers and, you know, someone in the workplace. And if you find that, you know, um, you are coming up on deadlines and, uh, you know, you're rushing to get things done before a deadline because you are worried that the work that you're doing is not good enough, that's one sign that um, an inner critic may be renting space in your head. Yeah. Um, another, another sign is if you don't step up to take on new projects. You know, a lot of times people ask me, how do I move ahead in an organization? What is it that I can do? And one of the things that um, really helps if you want to move forward with the company or organization that you're with is to step up and volunteer to take on um, a new project um, that is important to your group, your division. And people who let that inner critic um, speak loudly are often hesitant to take on new responsibilities because they're often worried that they're not going to succeed. And so if you notice, A, that you procrastinate, or B, that you're hesitant to step up because you're afraid of the risk of taking on something new. Those are two signs that you are allowing that inner critic to own you. And um, the first step in dealing with it is having that awareness. Yeah. Yeah, you got to recognize it, don't you? And if you're ever going to really take any steps to correct it. Absolutely. If, if you can't recognize it, then you can't correct it. Well, and I love your phrase. Managers, oh, I'm, yeah. Pardon me. Go, Go no. ahead. You finish your thought, and then I'm going to ask my question. No, I, I was just going to say that a lot of managers kind of reinforce that negative behavior. Because <laughs> if, if the manager themselves are very critical of the people who work for them, particularly publicly, mm -hmm. you know, in staff meetings, then this will inhibit the people that work for them because it reinforces their fear of making a mistake. So the manager, as well as the individual, has to be aware of their own behavior. So I sorry for jumping more. in on no, that. No, no, no. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a, an incredibly valid point. And it, it truly is one that, uh, that I see uh, all the time at work where uh, people are, they're, they, they've, have this idea that perfection is the only thing uh, that is acceptable. And if your goal is pursuit of perfection, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you're going to make yourself and a lot of other people miserable. 
Without a doubt, because what is perfection when you think about it? How, how does one define perfection in whatever it is that they do? Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and there's a difference between excellence and perfection. So I am not in the least saying not to be excellent and strive for excellence. Without a doubt, that's what you should be doing. Right. But there's a very big difference between defining what is excellence and trying to strive for something that's unrealistic. Well, and, and I want to point out to our listeners that in your book, you, you actually distinguish between perfection and excellence. And uh, you have uh, great exercises in each chapter that I think are going to help people uh, really start to recognize what's going on in their own mind and how their own attitude is, is really affecting their success. Uh, a, a lot of people, uh, Susan, I'm just interested on in your take on this. Uh, they, they seem to have this idea that when they go to work, uh, they almost have to, uh, they, they convince themselves in this inner critic that they've got to put happiness on hold, that that's not even attainable because they're at work and work is supposed to be a pain in the butt. Is that a fair statement? Do you see that uh, as well? I see it time and time again. And oftentimes when people reach out to me, it's because they have this feeling that there should be something more. And let's face it, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work. Mm -hmm. So why should we suffer when we're there? Um, you know, I'm not saying that you know, there aren't hard times at work or and there aren't bad days. Everybody has those things. Mm -hmm. But really, there are ways of finding um, what I wouldn't say, you know, necessarily happiness, which is feeling joy all the time, but really a sense of well-being and satisfaction. That's definitely achievable at work if you're in the right job. Oh, I agree. And uh, the, the more successes you have, the more satisfied you are. And frankly, I, I think you do become happy. Uh, I just think that people don't, they want to they wanna tell themselves why they can't succeed before they uh, talk to themselves about why they will succeed. Or they're using the wrong measurements to determine how to be happy. You know, we use social yardsticks a lot, like, mm -hmm. well, if I get that promotion, or if I get that raise, um, then I'll be happier. If I can drive the fancy, you know, sports car, or if I have the bigger house. But, you know, all the research shows that that's not the case. That, yes, if we achieve those goals, we might be temporarily happier, but then we just go back to our steady state where we were before. And it's only when our interests and our values are in alignment with the work that we do that we truly um, are happy. And this goes for people in the most menial, menial of jobs up through CEOs. Good point. Uh, that, that is an excellent point. I think that's true for all of us. So if... Uh, in your book, you, you really use a lot of positive uh, language, positive reinforcement. Uh, tell us why it's important for us to really get into that positive frame of mind. Um, so what I say to what I the way I describe myself um, jokingly is that um, I was really the queen of self-help books. 
So one of the reasons that I, I, um, I love that. I Queen of self-help books. Yeah. I, one of the reasons I wrote this book is I probably supported the self-help book industry single-handedly at one point in time because I was very miserable in my own career for a long mm-hmm. time. I think the difference in what I tried to do in this book was use um, social science research. So you mentioned the exercises that are in every chapter. These are based upon research studies that psychologists and neuroscientists have done that most people never know about because they're published in esoteric journals that, you know, the joke is that the uh, about seven people read the, the, um, the actual publications, including the author's mother or father. And um, so what I tried to do was connect um, the ivory tower where this research is conducted with Main Street in a way that um, this research could be made accessible. And the reason I think that's important, it's not just me saying, do this and you'll feel happier. Do that or take this, you know, you know, whatever the whatever the recommendation is, Mm -hmm. because I think that's where self-help. Uh, advice is limited. This is really based upon research uh, um, in terms of how people thrive and how they find satisfaction. And that, for me, was very important to include, to take it out of just the realm of, oh, here, try this and see if it works, to here's Mm -hmm. what the science says and how it can help you. Could you give us an example of, of, of what satisfaction would look like and feel like in our work? So what's, what scientists have shown is that, um, I'll give you one example. So all of us, I'm sure, can think of an in, instance when we've been so involved in our work, sometimes in something outside of work, when we all lose a sense of time. It's like we're just um, going about it and, and hours could pass. And then, you know, we look up and we realize, wow, two hours may have gone by, maybe even longer. So that's what scientists call flow. So um, being in flow is a sign that What you're doing is so engaging that you're shutting the rest of the world out. And so one of the ways that people can think about how do I find happiness in the work that I'm doing is to think back on um, something that they've accomplished that they feel really proud of. It could have been 10 years ago. It doesn't really matter. Or think back of an instance when they were in that flow state and the answer to that, whatever, the, whatever you come up with as whatever that experience was, is a sign that you need to look for more of that. Mm. So, you know, for some people, it, it, it varies. You know, I work with a lot of scientists, for example, and, you know, they will tell me that when they're working on an experiment, you know, they could lose themselves in that experiment for hours at a time. Um, You know, for other people, they could be programming, they could be developing software, or, you know, they could be coming up with a marketing campaign. And it differs based upon the individual. But for each person, if they could think back to what was a real high point in the work that they were doing, and that gives them the clues to where they might look in the future. Great. 
great example for all of us, uh, Susan. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I, I know uh, before we go any further, I, I know that people are going to want to know more about not only your book, but the work that you do coaching people. Why don't you share uh, here how listeners can connect with you? Absolutely. So um, I have my own website. The website is called Positive Workplace Partners. And on the website, there are two free ebooks that any listener is more than um, happy to download. One is actually an assessment to help someone determine whether they are in the right job. And it's based upon some of the exercises in my book. And I also have another free um, ebook called 25 Steps to a Successful Career Transition. So that's people can connect with me on my website. I'm also on LinkedIn. So um, listeners, feel free to reach out to me and connect with me there. And I'm also on Twitter um, at Susan Peppercorn. Um, so those are my uh, preferred social media. Uh, places to find me and I'm happy to hear from your listeners uh, wherever they want to reach out to me. That'd be awesome Susan and uh, thanks for sharing that and for those of you that are listening and exercising uh, just look in the show notes we're going to put a link directly to Susan's website for you to make it easy for you to go get that assessment and learn more about her work. Uh, so thanks for sharing that Susan. Uh, My one pleasure. Of, one of the things uh, that we focus on here at Manager Mojo is that uh, we we believe in actions, and in every uh, every podcast episode that we do, I always like to hear what the top two or three action items that you believe that people should take immediately based upon your work and the discussion that we've had today, what would be those two or three things that you would recommend that we start doing? So I'm a big advocate of setting um, specific goals. And the, the problem with goal setting, and the reason I mention this, is that, you know, people set goals way out in the future, but they don't often work out the plan for how they're going to reach that goal. So, Amen. you know, if you want to, you know, right. So if you want to lose 50 pounds, you know, you lose it, if we're lucky, a pound a week. But what do you have to do every, each and every week? So, you know, for those of you who have, a, you know, a, a business goal that you want to achieve, come up with the plan. That's my first recommendation. Um, so not only set the goal, but figure out how you're going to get there. So it's about not only willpower to reach the goal, but way power, the, the, the process for achieving it. The second thing is to have a personal board of directors or, or a kitchen table cabinet, whatever you want to um, call it. We are much more likely to achieve what we want if we um, have someone to hold us accountable and to be what I call, or actually as a teacher of mine, called beautiful enemies. So you want someone who's going to be truthful with you, that you can go to and you can say, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble with this and I'm looking for an idea here, and they're going to be honest with you, but also supportive at the same time. And you need to choose those people carefully and they have to be motivated to want to help you and also be knowledgeable in terms of where you're trying to go. So those are my two 
recommendations. Those are awesome recommendations and uh, every one of us can uh, can do those. And I I do want to ask one more question though that I'd like for you to comment on uh, just before we close today. Uh, You mentioned uh, earlier that uh, we we tend to allow this negative energy uh, to rent space in our head. And I, I, I just want you to talk a little bit about that so that we can leave this with, okay, we're not going to allow anybody to, to rent negativity anymore. So talk to us about that a minute. Okay. So I think that all of us are biologically programmed to do that. And probably back um, when we were being chased by wild animals and predators, that was necessary. But fortunately, um, that's not necessary for us anymore. So what can we do? One of the things that is a really easy strategy is to note down on a daily basis three good things that happened. And the reason I'm um, recommending this is that um, scientific research has shown that we can reprogram our brains away from the negativity if we spend the time to develop a habit that focuses, us, that focuses us more on positive things. And it's really retraining the brain to do this. It's a, a, a proven in neuroscience. So if on a daily basis you can spend 10 or 15 minutes writing down what are three good things that happened and why did they occur and what was my role in them, You will find that if you do this for three weeks to a month, you will automatically start focusing on the things all around us on a daily basis that go well that we tend to ignore. That is awesome. Uh, Susan, thank you for that really clear answer. And uh, listeners, I I hope you were uh, really paying attention and listening, and I hope you'll make some notes. Uh, But this really was three incredible actions that uh, we've been given by Susan. Set specific goals and work out the plan to get there. Uh, Create your own personal board of directors that you can trust and get uh, honest feedback from. And the third thing, start listing three good things that happened every day and why they happen. I think if we all do those, it won't be long before we're going to ditch that inner critic and uh, we're going to start living more fulfilled lives, Susan. So thank you very much for your, uh, your assistance today and your wisdom today. Well, thank you, Steve. It's been a great pleasure. Well, we, uh, we enjoyed it and we wish you nothing but continued success in everything you do, Susan. My guest today uh, has been Susan Peppercorn. Yeah, she's the author of the best-selling book, Ditch Your Inner Critic at Work. Make sure you get your own copy, put it in your library, and more importantly, start doing those exercises she has at the end of the chapter. Before long, I believe you'll be able to ditch your inner critic, and that will launch you uh, to further success in your career.